Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, yeah, sick again. That's how having kids works. But a big game comes to Miami Gardens on Christmas weekend. Dolphins and Cowboys, both 10-4. and A win puts us in a stranglehold position in the division. A win for Dallas keeps them alive in their race for the other conference's Eastern Division. We'll go ahead and get to know Dallas. Look at the big storylines, what we learned from the film and numbers, the keys to victory, all of that and more. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is... The Drive Time Podcast. First here off the top, congratulations to Bradley Chubb, the AFC Defensive Player of the Week for his performance against the New York Jets with three sacks and two forced fumbles in that game. Go ahead and get online right now. Go to Twitter, go to NFL.com and cast your Pro Bowl votes for the Miami Dolphins. Each of our guys send those guys to Orlando so maybe they can skip the game. We go to Las Vegas the following week. Anyway, Win this game first. Let's go ahead and meet the Dallas Cowboys because are we ready, guys? Got a big football game coming up on Christmas Eve. Holidays coming down the pike here. It's the best time of year. Football like every day with the bowl games and the NFL schedule stretching out to Saturdays. And your Miami Dolphins have never been more in the mix this century. Well, I suppose 2000 and 2001. And they were in the mix in 08 and 2016. But do you think those teams had a chance? I don't. A chance to win a big game a chance to build some confidence and put yourself in position to win one of the final two games, which would give you the division title. And you know what? We'll get to all of that. First, though, the weather. Sunday, a little bit chilly against the Jets. The last two games, actually. Walking to my car against the Titans after that miserable night, I was freezing my ass off. My wife loves the weather. She thinks 60 degrees is t-shirt weather because, well, we're from a cold area in the country. My blood has already thinned out. I've already been, always been a cold guy as it is, pretty skinny guy. I had the seat warmers on going home from that Titans game. That's, it's cold, man. I'm, I'm tired of this cold front. But Christmas Eve, 15% chance of some rain, partly cloudy, a little bit of breeze, but 74 degrees at kickoff, and that sustains all the way until nighttime. But it sounds like a great day for football. And how about the drainage system at Hard Rock Stadium, by the way? I was convinced that was going to be a bad field, but not the way that field works. I didn't realize that it was so good. No tarp, and it just was a solid surface after rain all week long, and then summer type of downpours on Saturday. So the Cowboys on that beautiful field with Dolphins throwback jerseys, 10-4. and How did the Cowboys get here? It began back in 2016 when they became one of those fortunate teams who found a star quarterback. And yes, Dak is a star quarterback. Don't listen to Skip Bayless or who I don't even know who I don't know who's mad about it, but someone's mad about it, right? On Fox Sports One or ESPN. One of the fortunate teams who found their star quarterback late in a draft. Doesn't happen very often, but what a boon it is when you get your franchise quarterback in the fourth round. Not to mention a comp pick in the fourth round. It's like pick 135, I think it was. They've won. 71 of his 111 starts at quarterback, and the one time he missed the majority of the season back in 2020, they bottomed out, right? And they wound up with a top draft pick, which brought in their other nationwide superstar. I won't say global because football players aren't really global, but Micah Parsons. Well, And then I guess the year before that, in 2020, they got CeeDee Lamb too, so he's pretty damn good. But what it all boils down to 
It's one of the best drafting teams in the entire NFL, up there with Greer and the Dolphins going back to 2016, and the Ravens, I think, are the other team in there as well. Saints, too. Uh, every year they get hits. Dak in 2016. Their slot corner, Jordan Lewis, in 2017. Also got Noah Brown, Xavier Woods, Chidobi Awozie in that season, who all left and have had good careers since then. In 2018, they got Leighton Vanderesh and Michael Gallup, and three current Dolphins, Connor Williams, Mike White, and Cedric Wilson, all in that same draft. They got Dalton Schultz and Christian Covington that year as well. In 2019, they got running back Tony Pollard and safety Donovan Wilson. In 2020, they got CeeDee Lamb and Trayvon Diggs and Tyler Biotish. I mean, that's three stalwarts of their current roster. Diggs is hurt right now. In 2021, they got Parsons, who's one of the best players in the world, and probably their other best defensive lineman, Nodigi Zua. And we'll go ahead and call him Odie on the rest of the podcast because I'm not pronouncing that name more than once. 2020, they got Deron Bland, Tyler Smith, Jake Ferguson, Damone Clark. I think you get it. Every year, they round out a great draft class. And what's crazy one of the best offensive lines in the entire National Football League. We talked about Biotish and Tyler Smith. Tyron Smith and Zach Martin have been there since 2011 and 2014, respectively, and both of those guys are going to Canton one day. Demarcus Lawrence has been there for a minute. He's still a beast, another top draft pick. They traded for Brandon Cooks. They hit on UDFA's Kevante Turpin, Rico Dow, Terrence Steele. They revived the career of Malik Hooker in free agency. They signed Stephon Gilmore this offseason. They have utilized every avenue to turn this into one of the best rosters in football. And Mike McCarthy, who your boy was kind of hard on in terms of just not thinking that he was going to have the solution. When he said that I want to play good defense or good offense and run the football and rest my defense, I did not expect a 30-point-per-game offense to come from that mindset, but that's what he's gotten out of this group. Moving on from Kellen Moore, and he gets the last laugh because their scheme is awesome. It's rolling. It's the top-scoring offense in the NFL, if you don't count the Miami Dolphins, who are top, 31.5 points to 30.8 points per game. And their defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, probably going to be a head coach next year. So this is an elite team with an elite coaching staff who is probably a year or two beyond where Miami is in terms of their, like, the initial building part of this build. But they're in a difficult place in terms of they can't get over the hump. And what's funny about that hump is that each of the last two years, it's been losses to a team who looks a lot like the team they're going to face on Sunday. Divisional round to the Niners last year, two years ago at home in the wild card round for that same Mike McDaniel OC'd 49ers team. But an elite team, which makes for great storylines. And we start here for Miami. Playoff spot can be clinched. Win and you are in. That's it. The other routes are a tie for Miami and a bunch of other teams losing. So I'm not going to cover that because dumb. Uh, you can reduce the magic number in the AFC East to one but it could be won already by Saturday night. And if the Bills lose to the Chargers, I'm not holding out hope, although maybe the interim head coach bump could be in action there. I'm still not holding out hope. They just lost 63-21. But if the Bills lose on Saturday, the magic number is one going into the game, and you can clinch the division on Sunday. But you can clinch the playoff spot regardless of what happens to Buffalo, and it would be the first back-to-back playoff appearances for this franchise since the 2000-2001 season. So let's make that happen you're facing another contender coming off a loss. It sort of grinds my gears that every great team we've seen this year, double-digit win team, right? That The Chiefs, are, they're not double-digit yet, but they, they'll get there. The Eagles have won double-digit games, and now the Cowboys. They all faced us coming off of a tough loss, and Dallas is the only team to not have back-to-back losses in the National Football League since the start of last season. Can we change that on Sunday? How about making the Titans' loss purposeful? 
That's a storyline here. Saw it on Hard Knocks. McDaniel has alluded to making that loss purposeful in terms of learning from that loss, right? Sometimes a loss can be a good thing in how you respond to it. I thought the Jets game gave you a glimpse into how this team is wired from a psychological standpoint, why it's a special locker room, the way they celebrated together. And not just Andrew Van Ginkle breaking up a pass on a wheel route in the first quarter, which is a big play in the game, right? But Ethan Bonner, in his first career game, deep into the fourth quarter of a 30-point blowout with the pass breakup, and he celebrated like he just clinched a trip to the Super Bowl. That told me a lot about this team. Sunday can tell me even more about this team. And then how about a winning team that visits Hard Rock Stadium for the first time this season? Crazy stat, right? First team, first time ever, teams with 20 combined wins, but one or fewer wins against teams above 500 matchup. Kind of silly, though, right? Because, like, Denver was over 500 just four days ago. So that stat would go out the window if Denver hadn't got blown out by Detroit. And a fully healthy Chargers team back in week one, by the way, was a good football team. But either way, I digress. The narrative is still the narrative, and you can change it on Sunday. All of those games have been on the road, and that finally you get the big test here at home. I think it's very important for this Dolphins team. And the last storyline I have here are the home and road splits for either side. Dolphins, a dominant fixture at home. Five yards per attempt in the passing game allowed compared to 6.3. That's a good pass defense either way, but my goodness, five. Uh, The passer rating against 74.1 at home compared to 97.2 on the road. 21 touchdowns allowed on the road compared to just nine at home. For the Cowboys offensively, their yards per attempt in the passing game goes from 8.8 to 7.6 home to road. The passer rating goes 114.4 to 97.5 home to road. They averaged 5.4 yards per rush at home, 4.7 on the road, and they scored 31 touchdowns at home compared to 21 on the road. They're 3-4 and four on the road. They averaged 21.7 points per game and 306 yards per game, and they're minus one in the takeaway department. Or the turnover battle, I should say. But at home, they're 7-0 with 40 points per game. They double their production. They go 431 yards per game. That's 130 more. And they're plus 10 opposed to minus 1. So they are not the same team on the road. Make that be the case here, and you should be okay. And we go ahead and start talking about this matchup with the Dolphins' offense versus the Cowboys' defense. And their safety position, it's going to be a key in this podcast because they use them a lot. And they use a lot of those guys to play the linebacker position. So... Malik Hooker is their best safety. He missed the game on Sunday. It sounds like he has a pretty good chance to play in the game on Sunday. Uh, he plays 80% of their snaps. Jaron Curse plays 72%, and Wanya Thomas plays 20% of the reps. At cornerback, they are thin right now because of the Trayvon Diggs injury, but on the perimeter, it's Stephon Gilmore at 94 and Deron Bland at 89. Without those two guys, I'm not really sure who next man up is, so keep an eye on that throughout the course of the game. There are a lot of positions for this Cowboys team, offensively and defensively, where if one guy goes down, kind of like you saw for the Dolphins with multiple guys going down, it could drastically change the course of this game. So in-game injuries for Dallas here are critical. If they lose any part at a couple of spots, there's a snowball effect that could be had there. Uh, And that's one of them, the cornerback position. Inside, uh, Jordan Lewis plays 63% of the snaps. Then Donovan Wilson is a third safety slot type, and he plays... 64% of the snaps. On the defensive line, Jonathan Hankins plays 38% of the reps. And if you ask a Cowboys fan what happened in Buffalo, they're going to tell you Jonathan Hankins did not play in the game, which is not the entire case, but it is partially the case. He 
has been a key run stopper, and he was out, and it sounds like he could miss this game as well. It sounds like he might be doubtful to play this game. Odigizua, Odie. 58% snap taker. He's really good, especially as a pass rusher. They love to get him one-on-one chances when you take all your attention towards Parsons or Lawrence. So keep an eye on him. And then Mozzie Smith, 28% of the snaps. And Golston, 28% of the snaps. Off the edge, Micah Parsons plays 80%. We'll talk more about him as we go along here. Demarcus Lawrence is... He kind of reminds me of Bradley Chubb, his game, 55% snap taker. Doris Armstrong is 42%. And then Dante Fowler, 25%, almost exclusively a pass rusher. At linebacker... Damone Clark plays 74%, and then Marquise Bell is listed as a linebacker here, but he's really a safety who goes 214 pounds. He plays 60% of their snaps. Let's go ahead and talk about why this defense is constructed the way it is. It's, it's, it's confusing. Leighton Vander Esch, Damarian Overshone, and Trayvon Diggs, all those guys are on IR. That's their top cornerback. It's their top two interior linebackers. Malik Hooker didn't play against Buffalo, nor did Jonathan Hankins, but it seems like they could be back this week, or at least Hooker could. I don't think Hankins will be. We'll see. And the Marquise Bell changed positions. Like, he was a safety who is now a linebacker at 214 pounds. It's a tiny linebacker. That's why you have so many safeties seeing time. They're short on linebackers. And then without their middle of the field safety eraser and hooker, that's really tough to overcome. And they couldn't in Buffalo. They got ran up and down the field on. Then you remove your best run stuffing defensive tackle. I picked Buffalo to win that game last week. But honestly, the score wasn't really a surprise when you realized all that going on and how Buffalo won with the running game. It'll be a good week to have a healthy Raheem Mostert, Devon Achan, Jeff Wilson, and Chris Brooks. Their personnel usage, get a load of this. Get a load of this. 3%-4-3. That's it. No other base downs. They're a nickel 27% of the time. That's the lowest in the league because they play a league high 61% of the time in their dime package. Uh, Alec Ingle, Durham Smythe, Chris Brooks, Julian Hill, you're up, right? Go ahead and bring it in, guys. Bring it in a little bit closer. We're going to end the first segment of the podcast with a monologue on the Dolphins' offense versus the Cowboys' defense before we get more into the matchups. We're going to have a talk here, right? I'm a homer, right? Travis the homer. I pick the Dolphins a lot, and because I still think they are the best team in the conference, I think the season has shown you the Niners are the clear best team in football, but I like Miami in the AFC. I always have. So when I tell you this next part, just know it's derived from two things. One, that belief, and two, I'm watching a Dallas defense that leaves swaths of grass, vacant in the middle of the football field. I'm watching a Dallas defense that fits the run with 210-pound safeties that they've converted linebacker. What I'm telling you is that there is one area of concern this week, and if that's mitigated, it's not feasible that Dallas is responsible for slowing Miami down even a fraction. That reason is Micah Parsons in the pass rush. But with Teron Armstead, you can slide that protection all day long. And our motion and our backfield action with Tua's details, I think will be okay in that regard. But then also, this is a potential trapdoor scenario, a potential issue where you feel the loss of Connor Williams. Liam really needs to be on top of his stuff against their pressure packages because they bring the heat and they can affect your quarterback with that. Now, I also said it's not feasible that Dallas is responsible for slowing us down, but it is feasible that we slow us down because we've done it the majority of the games this year. So it's not unconscionable. What I'm telling you is this. If, if, if the Dolphins offensively are on their stuff, on their ish, if we don't commit drive-killing fouls, if we don't turn the football over, we will score at will. I'm talking six touchdowns, 42 points. 
Let me tell you why on the other side. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. What'd you guys make of that teaser on the other side there? Let's go ahead and tell you why I feel this way. So their base defense is dime, right? That's six defensive backs. On first down, they run it 60% of the time. I mean, if you have 60 Bs, you only have five guys in the front. Five offensive linemen. That's five on five. Hat on a hat. Add Alec Ingold. Add Durham Smythe. Add Julian, like, 64% on second down, 62 on third down. I think the injuries at linebacker has dictated this because, again, they line those safeties up down in the second level of their defense, which bodes well for their ability to get depth on their drops or match up against backs and tight ends in the passing game, right? But you've also got, again, Marquis Bell, 214. Wanya Thomas is 217. J. Ron Curse is 215. Donovan Wilson's 204. 230-pound linebackers are considered slight in this league. It reminds me of the matchup in Buffalo last year where Alec Ingold, on the first snap of the game, blew Teron Johnson off the football and said, it's going to be a long night for you, boy. He wears down those light boxes in the running game. It's a great game to have the best fullback in the NFL. Their coverage deployment, cover one, 33% of the time is second most in the NFL. Cover three, 43% of the time is eighth most, and they run quarters 10% of the time. But it's a cover one, cover three defense. It's man free. That's three deep. You get it. And it's mostly cornerbacks that play those deep coverages too. So the safeties, again, are playing in the hook and the curl flat. For posterity, they play more man coverage than anybody else, 48% of the time. And they're also playing off 75% of the time, which if you're going to play man press 25% of the time against us, have fun, you know? And it's probably even more than that because without digs, they've had more off coverage. But that plays into my thought about the Titans game plan that they could have, which is this. Are they going to play this variation of middle field closed, single high, and three deep, which is what you saw from the Titans, that three deep coverage, three safeties, but they would always buzz the middle of the football field. And they sort of abandon that backside receiver, right, the X, to help support in the running game to play their light boxes with those three high safeties with a cornerback playing a quasi-wheel linebacker role. I could see the Cowboys doing this, especially after the way the Bills attack them in the running game. It's a lot for any defense to handle, but especially when you're having to dig deep into your depth with all the injuries they have back there. It is a concern, but they do make it up elsewhere, which is, we'll get to that. But just look at their tape. They haven't, I think they could run that plan, but it would be the first time they had because they haven't done it before. I wrote that note before watching the tape and coming back from the tape, there's a lot of man coverage, outside leverage and access to digs and slants and posts. Brother, that's where we live. They run a lot of press man-free, which is Gilmore and Bland press coverage with Malik Hooker in the center field, and you can get vertical routes off of this. You're going to get one side of that with a deep access without safety help. So Tyreek and Waddle, every damn week we hit a vertical pass. If they play that coverage, you have to beat them deep. They also run Tampa, Tampa 2, which coincides with our dagger concept. Dagger, a clear-out route to clear out that safety, run the hook or the, the deep dig in behind that. That's what you get when you ask a middle linebacker to run down the pipe and try to cover your vertical three seam, run that inbreaker off that with Tyreek or Waddle. It's wide open. They'll run some quads as well, your seams, your posts, your digs, but they love to go zero on third and medium or long. And like, remember the Lions game last year? They tried to zero us up the entire game and that defense was not good. So it's a different story here, but Zero coverage with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. You're asking to get beat deep. I cannot wait to watch this matchup. And here's what else I like about it. Their cornerbacks are not known for their fluidity. Jordan Lewis, the slot, he is 45th percentile or lower in his 40-yard dash, 10-split, shuttle, broad, and vert. That's your sombrero. If he catches Waddle or Hill, go after it. 
Deron Bland is in the 70th or the 17th rather percentile for three cone. Means he's the worst changer of direction in the National Football League. 59th percent in vertical, 78 in 10 split, 74 in the 40. Those aren't good numbers for Tyreek and Waddle at all. It's a rough matchup. How about Stefan Gilmore, who was an elite tester when he did go back to the combine, but that was like 1947. He's 33 years old. Like, I, I think the reason they play like they do is to deal with this deficiency. And I and I mentioned the 49ers earlier. Like, the 49ers were in a similar offense to Miami, right? Hey, guys, Dan Quinn's been there since 2001, and that's when the Niners have become the Cowboys' daddy. The volume stats aren't gaudy. Back in 2021, 23-17 game, 172 passing yards, 169 rushing is great. In 2022, it was a 19-12 final, but I think they had a backup quarterback in that game that wasn't pretty. 199 passing yards and 113 rushing yards with the win. And then this year with Brock Purdy, the best quarterback they've had in that system, 42 to 10, 251 passing, 170 rushing. But even those numbers don't tell the whole story because the EPA allowed each of the years second highest, fourth highest, fifth highest against those teams. And the teams, some of the teams that have posted better EPAs against them than San Francisco, the LaFleur Packers off that same tree, the Waldron Seahawks off that same tree, and the McVay Rams and then the Bills this year. But do you get what I'm saying? This offense gives this defense issues. It's a lot of jargon, but it can be boiled down to teams with condensed offenses formationally with lots of motion, teams that neutralize the effectiveness of that blitz package. Those are the teams that hit them the hardest. I'm just saying. Go back to the Philly game this year. They gave A.J. Brown lots of attention, and Devontae Smith had, I think, one of his worst games. That's why the offense fell apart in this one. If that's how they play it and we get Tyreek back, that means lots of 1v1 chances for Jalen Waddle and inside access to him. Good luck there. I think it's fair to assume they might play it differently because of the play types, but Gilmore took Brown without help and pressed Mir as the X boundary. We saw Tyreek take Trey White to the shed last year for a touchdown on that exact look. If you want to do that, 33-year-old cornerback against Tyreek Hill, I don't know, good luck, but he's their best guy back there. They have missed Trayvon Diggs. Bland has all the picks, and the coverage numbers otherwise show you that he's been feast or famine. So he has eight picks, five for touchdowns. And just a 54% completion rate, but when they get him, they get him. Like DK on Thursday Night Football a couple weeks ago. He's allowed 580 yards on 480 coverage snaps. I mean, that could be the difference in the game right there. They missed 12 tackles versus the Bills, which is crazy because they have the fewest missed tackles in the NFL. In fact, just 43, and the second fewest is 55. So most of their missed tackles came in that game against the Bills. But... That's what happens when you have to put backups in the game, and they might be in that same spot again here. We saw it in Buffalo. I, I think you could stay in 21, 12, 22 personnel the entire game and build your vertical shots with Tyreek and Waddle off those heavy max protect two-man route combos against, you know, if they want to play their dime defense and run the football, but if they take the dime defense off the field, you take your vertical shots there. When they come out, you know, River Craycraft, Cedric Wilson go back out there and block the perimeter. You motion to further displace their run fits and kind of cause confusion in their communication. Like, think about the touchdown run in the first quarter of the game on Sunday or the Edmonds run versus Baltimore. That man coverage motion can get them out of their run fits. I think Miami can pop them for two bills in this game, guys. And if Mozzie Smith, the first-round rookie, has to fill in for Jonathan Hankins, he couldn't. He just couldn't play in that game. He was overwhelmed by power every single play. And if you get Big Rob Hunt back, good night. Good night, nurse. How about their pressure numbers because they're impressive? So Micah Parsons has 89 this year. <laughs> That leads the NFL. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence has 41. Odie has 34. Dante Fowler has 32. He's almost exclusively a rush guy, 70-30 split. And then uh, Doris Armstrong has 25 for the next guy. But their blitz frequency, 32%, eighth in the NFL, right? That's a lot 
of blitzing, run and pass blitz. It's paired with 21% pressure rate, which is actually uh, the third highest discrepancy in terms of blitz to pressure rate. So they blitz a lot, but don't get home as much as they should, I guess. They're 15th in pressure rate, despite the eighth best uh, blitz rate. And Tua against the blitz this year. 25% dropbacks, 70% completion, 7.8 yards per pass, 11 touchdowns, no picks. Please blitz this quarterback. Please do it. I'm really curious to see how they attack us, but also how we attack them in the running game because Buffalo had success all over the field, but especially off the perimeter. And I'm not sure anybody does that better than Miami. Buffalo had nine for 73 off left end, six for 43 off right tackle. That is 15 for 117. Tough to lose when you get that. And if we can get the outside running game going like that, you're not going to stop our passing game. So... There's that. The week before that, Philly got just four for eight and three for eight. So you got to earn it, but it's there. I think the defense is pretty overrated. That's my takeaway from this. And this is a function of the guys they've lost and the mismatch for this Dolphins offense, this style of offense, because early on they were pretty good, but it's not been good and it's never been good against the 49ers, which I think we compare pretty favorably to the Niners. Uh, the Eagles game where they stomped them, they lost three fumbles, one in the red zone, two in plus territory, also had a turnover on downs at the plus 30. So that's like 20 points right there. Like it's it wasn't that big of a blowout except for on the scoreboard, which is where it counts, right? Um, yeah, it just uh, watching that Niners tape again, like some of the stuff that we do, the Niners did and got guys wide open, like our chair concept with a deep post clear out and the deep over, like they don't have the, the horsepower to match that. That's all I got to say about that. Let's go ahead and flip this over to the other side of the football. Dolphins defense versus Cowboys offense. You know about Dak Prescott. You know about CeeDee Lamb, 83% of the snaps. Brandon Cooks plays 66% of the snaps. Michael Gallup, 55. Jalen Tolbert, 41. Uh, Kevante Turpin plays 25% in the slot. But their main slot guy has been CeeDee Lamb. He plays 60% out of the slot. Jake Ferguson, the tight end, 73% snaps this year. He's a stud. We'll talk about him in a second. And then Luke Schoonmaker, 32%. Their offensive lines, Tyron Smith and, uh, sorry, their interior offensive line is Tyler Smith, Tyler Biadish, and then Zach Martin. But TJ Bass is a replacement if Martin cannot go. Off the edge, it's Tyron Smith and Terrence Steele. And then uh, Tony Pollard and Rico Dow are the top two running backs. They're 70% and 21% snap load. So Zach Martin has a quad injury. He, we'll see if he plays. They're going to try to get him to go this week, but we'll, we'll see. I, I imagine he does because he's that kind of guy. And then Turpin is the top guy in the slot in terms of his workload, 80% inside, but Lamb goes in there 60% of the time. So does Ramsey travel again? I feel like he does. We'll see. Uh, personnel usage. 11 personnel for them is uh, 61%. Their 12 personnel package is 15%. They bring a third tight end into the game 5% of the time. And then they have a little bit of 21, 22 personnel packages, both 4.5%. So they're pretty well mixed, pretty versatile. It's a good offense. Would be really, really nice to get Javon Holland back for this one. It sounds like Deshaun Elliott could be back. He's already out there practicing on a limited basis. Not quite out of the protocol as of this taping, but he could be back. We'll see. But... We need those guys to be the stingiest defense in terms of limiting ex explosives, which Miami is when they have those two guys out there. Without them, those numbers are a little bit different. But having both those guys back skew heavily in Miami's favor. Uh, some notes here on watching the Cowboys film. Their seam shots just catch, rock, throw down the middle of the football field. It's a lot like Miami's. Dak is in rhythm. He's on time. He's accurate. He has zip. It's very Tua-esque with the anticipation, the accuracy, and the command that he has. And those seam shots to tight end Jake Ferguson are just so impressive how he's able to body guys up and out-leverage them. And then Dak puts the ball right where it needs to be. Like, they make impossible-to-defend throws on the regular. 
Uh, they also push the ball with anticipation and do a great job when there's rush in his face falling back from that rush. Like, the Eagles got heat on him all game long. In fact, he's been blitzed 28% this, this year, and he completes 70% of those passes for 7.8 yards per pass, nine touchdowns, and three picks. When he's not blitzed, he's also pretty good, 7.4, and 4 like, right on target there. When he's pressured, he's still really good. 63% completion, 8.2 yards per pass, five touchdowns, and two picks. He's just tough, but where he does have his misses is when you move him and the footwork gets sloppy, like his heels click or he's not hitching in rhythm. His inability to kind of get reset or pump and shrug, that's where you can get misfires and then potentially picks. Hopefully you create some of that with getting him off of that first read and changing the pitcher because he's the sixth highest quarterback in terms of throwing to his first read in the National Football League. Tua's the sixth lowest. So like the narratives are funny because it's just how it goes. But if he puts the ball in your hands, got to capitalize on those opportunities. Because they can make you pay, man. Because this is probably the most dangerous group of eligibles we've seen all year. Maybe Philly, but I tend to lean towards Dallas. And that starts with C.D. Lamb, who, look, like, we haven't traveled when we've had X, Cater, and Ramsey together. But Lamb goes inside for 60% of his snaps. You cannot, like, you maybe you double him with Cater, but, like, it's not going to be a one-on-one situation there unless you travel with Ramsey. That's what I would do. Either double inside or Ramsey travels. But then you also have Brandon Cooks, who's a baller, who I think maybe is a tough matchup for X because that's not X's play style. So I feel like the move might be Ramsey on Lamb, Cater on Cooks, funneling to help, and then X on Gallup or Turpin or even Ferguson. Like, I like X in the tight end the more I think about it because his physical style matches that. Uh, Lamb, though, 2.53 yards per route ran. That's tops in the NFL behind or second behind Tyreek, I should say. Cooks can change the game on a dime. He's a field flipper. Ferguson... He's like George Kittle light, man. He's physical as hell. And the way he stems and stacks and uses that big frame to kind of block you out, it's it's tough to cover a guy like him. And their vertical passing game is a lot of good pockets to create these double move shots against man coverage. And the way you beat that, pressure, but you probably can't blitz. So I think that like Van Ginkle on Terrence Steele could be a key matchup here because his speed against Steele's play type is a bit of a mismatch. He's more heavy plotter type, but there's not a single tomato can on the offensive line unless Zach Martin's down and then Christian Wilkins needs to win that matchup repeatedly, which he probably will because he usually does. But you're going to have to earn your reps, earn your wins. Big week for this pass rush. It's been so good this year, but beat the Cowboys. Now we're talking. It's also that vertical passing game. Why I think Javon Holland's presence is so important because this is the second most explosive offense in the league, again, behind Miami. But the Dolphins limit explosives at the second best rate in the NFL. And they've exploited limited range safeties, like Reed Blankenship for the Eagles. Good player, but not very athletic, you know, in terms of his speed, right? They just love, love to pump and shoulder roll these double moves that create vertical shots against displaced or slower safeties. But with Javon Holland back there, Nobody anticipates and has good range and speed like him in the entire National Football League besides maybe Minka Fitzpatrick. So his ability to get back and play in the game is so key because deep passing this year, Dak, 51% completion on throws 20-plus yards down the, down the field, 866 yards, nine touchdowns and a pick. It is a lot to ask for. You need Wilkins and Sealer. They've all been good, but I think this if there's one matchup where you can get a little bit veteran savvy aside from that right guard spot. It's Tyler Biadish because he just, he's probably the, the weakest link of the whole crew, but he's still a great player. 
So you have to get wins from Seeler and Wilkins. Then you've got uh, Tony Pollard, who's a matchup in the passing game. He can hit you with big plays in the running game. They have they run lots of power and duo. So our ability to stay on blocks is big and create free runs for David Long and Duke Riley. It's a big game for Duke and David and then Raekwon also to make sure he holds the point on those base down running plays. Look, these are two awesome, awesome football teams. It's going to be a fun matchup. Let's go ahead and just do this real quick before the last break. Pass block efficiency, Tyron Smith, 98.2. That's T-Stead level. Tyler Smith, 98.3. That's probably the best left side in the NFL right now. Tyler Biadish, 97.6. is not great for a center. Zach Martin, 97.4. is not great for a guard, but it's good. But TJ Bass is 97.6, so it's even better. And then uh, Steele. 95.4. That's your that's your Van Ginkle matchup. Let's go, Ginkle. Go get your go get your paycheck this week, big dog. Uh, probably the toughest player Bradley Chubb will see all season, and he's on a heater. So that's a fun matchup, Bradley Chubb versus Tyron Smith. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there. Come back on the other side. Tell you what's at stake. Predict this game. Give you some keys. That's all. Next drive time podcast. Your host Travis Wingfield. Brought to you by Auto Nation. We've previewed the matchup. Told you the keys to either side of the football. Let's go ahead and tell you what's at stake everything. I don't want to alarm you and come on too strong, but freaking everything, man. It's all on the line this week. You lose this game, probably can't clinch the division until week 18. You lose it, you probably have to say bon voyage to the one seed. You lose this game, and this is projecting a potential psychological impact, but now you've lost two of the last three. The winning team narrative permeates another week. I think this team has a level of confidence and self-belief right now, and I think a win in this spot, on this day, in this time slot, against that team, the most popular team in America, the most talked about team in America, I think a win here would provide the same galvanizing force that was the opposite of what you got in that Titans loss in terms of how this team will come together, right? Does that make sense? Maybe that's the wrong way to say that. More so the feeling you have from the Titans game of dread and despair, I think winning this game does the exact same thing on the other side of that spectrum. Now, from a numbers standpoint, right now, your odds at a first-round buy are 14%. Your division chances are 63%, and missing the playoffs altogether is 1%. But you win this game, you go to a 20% first-round buy odds. Your division odds go up to 72% because you can beat Baltimore or Buffalo and get in in the division. And if you win this game, you clinch a playoff spot, so missing the playoffs goes down to 0%. If you beat Dallas, you need a win in one of the last two games to win the division. If you beat Dallas and that win occurs in Baltimore, you're playing for a win and in for the one seed in Week 18. And if you lost to Buffalo, you are at worst the three seed. And one more Baltimore loss or KC loss away from getting the two seed. And Baltimore plays San Francisco on Christmas Day. Losing to Dallas, a first-round bye goes to 6%. The division goes to 49%, and missing the playoffs goes to 3%. It's a huge, huge, huge game. My keys to victory, number one, quickly identify Dallas's blitz game. This quarterback is elite at that. The best way this defense can mess you up is by creating blown assignments in the true drop back situations. If we can avoid that, I think we can move the ball and score lots of points. Number two, convert low red zone opportunities. Anytime you face a great offense, you have to score in the red zone and hold them out in the red zone. Get seven, not three. We've struggled down there lately. Finish those drives in the end zone. And number three, stay honest against the double moves and pump fakes. You have to limit their deep passing game. They get as many explosives as anybody, and they want to create those shots off of play action, pump, and double moves off the edge. Stay honest on those. My areas of concern, can we execute against a bad run defense if we have our key missing parts on the interior? Big week to get Rob Hunt back. I hope that happens. We'll see. Can we prevent the deep game if Javon Holland's out? If it's Brandon Jones and not Javon, probably going to get more of those deep shots from... uh, CeeDee Lamb and 
Brandon Cooks and, and the company. Can our pass rush get home against a great offensive line? They've beaten up some bad O-lines and bad quarterbacks. If they do it this game, heads will start to turn a little bit. Areas to exploit their tiny second level of defense and their dime-heavy defense. Run the football down their throats. Execute down in the red zone. Beat them up that way. And also a kind of an antiquated cover one, cover three scheme that does a great job of moving Micah Parsons around. But if you can't get home, their coverage schemes are going to get torn apart by a defense that refuses to span the middle of the football field against a team that's great at exploiting that area of the field. My prediction... I think it's entirely possible that the offense goes off in this game. There are some extenuating circumstances that could prevent that, but I think everything is here for the Finns to capitalize and prove to you this is not your father's Dolphins. And you guys know how I feel. I think we're getting the best version of this team over the next three weeks, starting at the quarterback position, and I think that means points. But I will give Micah Parsons two drives ruined on his own and maybe one or two drives that we shoot ourselves in the foot. So 10 drives, six drives... 34 points. And then with Javon Holland, 24 points allowed without 31. Either way, it's Dolphins dub. 34-24 or 34-31, depending on Javon Holland. That's it. That's all. Go vote for the Pro Bowl. Tomorrow, Michael Gelkin, the Dallas Morning News. You don't want to miss that podcast. He was fantastic talking to me about this game and why I said, I mentioned to him the Cowboys having not lost games and back-to-back games in two years. And he said, well, that changes this week. A little teaser for you guys there to come back on Thursday. Check out that podcast on Friday. Greg Olson's on the call. He's going to join me and talk about this game as well. Exciting week, guys. Enjoy this. Dolphins and big football games late in December, and a big win would be a great Christmas gift. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on social at Wingfield NFL and the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast. Dan Marino in the Fish Tank this week. Don't miss that one with Seth and Juice. Also, the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline Cameron, Daddy, he's coming home.